Hi, I'm Lauren and welcome to this very special series, Hopecast Extra Time. Extra Time is an exclusive series focusing on the issues that connect sports with suicide. This is the second episode of the series focusing on LGBTQ plus representation. It's well known that toxic masculinity is incorporated into football. With homophobic chants, abuse to players and rival fans, it can be detrimental to the mental health and well-being of players and fans. It makes football and sport less inclusive to the wider LGBTQ plus community wanting to enjoy and participate. Diversity within sport is vital, especially within the LGBTQ plus community. Seeing representation on and off the pitch gives LGBTQ plus fans the courage to be who they are, knowing they are accepted and can participate in sport. For this episode, we were joined by Stonewall Sports Programme Manager and former international lacrosse player for Wales, Erin Williams. They were also the first player to wear the rainbow laces in the European Championships in 2015 and the World Cup in 2017. And Hannah Lily Lanyon from Gold Diggers FC, an inclusive football club for women and non-binary people in London. My pronouns are they, them, and she, her, and I'm a sport program manager at Stonewall. So we are um, Europe's largest LGBTQ plus charity working across the UK, across Europe and globally um, around basically issues and, and addressing challenges and empowering people so that all LGBTQ plus people are free to be um, ourselves. And a big part of that is, is sport. Um, it's been, and football and within that, and obviously football being one of the, the biggest, the biggest sport. Um, <laughs> in this country. Yes, I'm sure. Um, so it's, it's looking at the issues that are, that exist in sport, but also looking at how we can harness the power of sport to provide opportunities for people. And then also um, reach allies and reach people who might not otherwise have thought about LGBTQ plus inclusion, but are amazing football fans and and actually being able to start the conversation that way. So it's basically acknowledging that sport has an incredible power and seeing what we could do with it for good. And Hannah Lily, what's your background? Um, so my name's Hannah Lily, and my pronouns are they them. And I play for Gold Diggers, which is a grassroots football team in London. Um, and we were founded in twenty fifteen. Um, and we've got a predominantly queer membership and it's for women and non-binary people, so whoever identifies as women or non-binary. Um, and yeah, we play in several leagues across the week and we have a really supportive queer community that go to football games together and um, try and represent uh, queer people in, in sport. And LGBTQ plus inclusion is massive, especially when it comes to football. And when you look at the contrast between the women's game mm-hmm. and the men's game, there's a massive divide in that in that sense. What are your thoughts on that? It's really interesting. And I think with within it, um, 
there's a few reasons, and one of them is, I mean, first of all, the power of, of playing for as somebody who's not a man um, is in many ways subverting centuries worth of gender issues. Mm-hmm. So just being able to pick up a pick up a ball, pick up a stick, do whatever you're doing. Um, you know, 50 years ago, it wasn't until 50 years ago that women were allowed to play football again in this country. So, you know, for many, many years, it was considered to be not something that was appropriate. And there's an attraction and an appeal of sport and of football, potentially, particularly, um, to people who might be exploring themselves and exploring their physicality and um, I know for me, um, sport has always been the, the place where you can kind of, yeah, subvert those those expectations and really sort of embody and physically put out there, like queer identity. Um, and that has an attraction to people. So that might be a, a reason. Also, women's football hasn't had the, you know, the notoriety and the mass media behind it and the toxic culture and... But that's a massive one when it comes mm-hmm. to football is toxic masculinity. Yeah. When you look mm-hmm. at chance at football games, attitudes mm-hmm. towards players, you know, player abuse, because abuse isn't just on the pitch anymore, it's now taken on social media. That's a massive thing. Yeah, I mean, the, male game. the root of homophobia, the root of biphobia, the root of transphobia is, is sexism, it's misogyny. It's the idea that the worst thing in the world to be, if you're a man, is to assume a woman's role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we're going back. So it's it is at the root of things. So this idea that if you look at a lot of the homophobic chants that come out, it's comparing men to women. Um, so that that all is empowered and, and embodied within that toxic culture that yeah is is going to be you know picking up on on weaknesses and vulnerabilities that. Um, but you know, the minute we can step away from that, the better. But yeah, and I think yeah. it's. I think it's so interesting what you're saying about physicality as well, because one of the things I love about football from a mental health perspective and from a queerness perspective is it's this place where you totally, you can feel within yourself and you feel like totally that your body is connecting with other people around you and you can embrace your own physicality. Um, And with men, that's so much more fraught because their sexuality is, you know, you're assumed to be heterosexual if you're a male footballer. And so you have this sort of, men bonding on the pitch and physically bonding on the pitch and having like this really beautiful experience but if that was ever to be insinuated to have any kind of like sexuality to it mm-hmm. it um it, they really shut down yeah. and it really causes this kind of like yeah internal it's all internalized homophobia that's then like coming out at each other and so I think it's like it's such a shame because when we think as queer sports people about what we love about football it's something that's not open to a lot of mm-hmm. uh straight presenting or straight men in footballs, yeah, they're, they're sort of shutting themselves off from those experiences. But I think it, it's also when we think about the history of of um, of homophobia, a lot of it comes down to like these conservative views or whatever. But when we have like, I was thinking about in in the women's game yesterday, I was at the FA Cup final. It's full of families. It's full of like young kids, young girls, everyone embracing these players. Nobody cares about their sexuality. Yeah. Like it's just not it's an issue. In the, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. not an issue in the women's game at all. And there's a lot of like um, there's a lot of jokes around it, and it's good natured and it's fun. Yeah. Um, and you don't have that in the men's game. So not only is it stopping the homophobia, stopping men from connecting to themselves, their own identities, their own bodies, it's also stopping it being a family environment and stopping it being somewhere where you want want to bring your kids because yeah. you just think this yeah that concept of toxic masculinity is so dominant it is it's that massive yeah. divide which is there and I suppose as fans of football you know whatever your sexual orientation or how you identify 
if you're a fan of football and you're hearing that abuse being chanted, you're just like, I just want to enjoy the football. I don't want to hear that. But that impact on your mental health yeah. and how that can happen if you don't speak out about it can really suppress yourself and it can unfortunately lead to suicide, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I think within um, spaces like that, if you are, if the abuse is about you or your identity, you know, you're not often the safest person to address it. Um, and that's where allyship really comes in and being able to sort of call it out, call it in, and, and make it really clear that, that that language isn't acceptable. And it's everything from chants and big, big, big noises at, at crowds, but often those little tiny ones are, you know, one-on-ones or in the locker room or um, a, a, what a coach might say that can be more harmful because um, they're so common and and so prevalent in terms of, you know, what your people sort of, even if you do call it in, it's like, oh, no, I didn't mean it like that. It's just, or just... It's just like the it's Yeah, And it's that, I, or people are, made, I mean, I remember when I was a, a young person uh, thinking, somebody just said something homophobic. It really hurt me, and I know it might hurt other people here, but I can't call it out because then they might suspect. Mm. Yeah. And kind of looking around and hoping someone else would say something, and then no one ever did. And it happens in women's sport, because, like, homophobia take of this idea of you know it's not all lesbians here or you know we you know we don't going to be dykes like that team is massive and it put a lot of it puts a lot of people off playing um so it, i think it's going back to your first question it is important to acknowledge that there's a lot of it like the women's game isn't fine um and there's a lot of there's an immense amount of transphobia um but also a lot of lesbophobia, homophobia, biphobia that prevents people from getting the benefits of sport because of the yeah. unique ways that it looks like in in women's sport. And it is, it's like it's like it's what you look like, isn't it? And what you what you mm-hmm. what people perceive you to be and it's it's taken away of actually do you not know, I'd be really good at playing football and yeah. just I enjoy watching it. But it's kinda of like, oh I don't want to be seen as this, I don't want to be labelled as that. I just mm-hmm. want to enjoy the football. Yeah. And it yeah. does take it away from people. Have you ever experienced that Hannah Lily when it comes to being a fan of football or playing it you feel like oh I don't feel like I belong here. I think what what it's made me think about is actually all the positive experiences I've had and how, for all the things we think that are are bad about, oh, you can feel that like there's homophobia on the pitch or you can feel like um, people are making fun of you because you're gay or whatever. When that's embraced, it's the complete opposite. Not only like, okay, so if it's bad, it can be terrible for your mental health, but if you're supported, it's the best feeling in the world. And I had an experience recently where I went to Dulwich Hamlet, which is a grassroots yes. team in South London, and they had a um, game which was all, one team was all trans players, and they were playing the Dulwich Hamlet women's team. I was at that game as well. It was amazing, <laughs> and I walk into the stadium, I'm, and I'm, so I, yeah, never really got to go to um, live football when I was a kid, because it was expensive and it was for boys, and... And I walked into that stadium, and all over the stadium, they've got pride flags, they've got the trans rights flags, and Peter Crouch was standing in the middle of the stands, and it was just like, just like, so much of me felt seen and held as a Liverpool fan, to just be like, I had my, like, trans friends who were playing on the pitch, like, my friend Paula was chatting. I was like, it's Peter Crouch. She's like, oh yeah, Peter, I know Peter. And I was like, yeah. what? It was incredible. It yeah, was I, he needs to get more credit for actually what he did. Yeah, and, it, and then I felt like I could, I could talk to my family who were all Liverpool fans and say, I was at this game and instead of feeling like I'm going out on a limb here and saying like, yeah, I was at this game and it was kind of like a queer thing and there were trans people there and kind of bracing myself for members of my family who 
might be homophobic or transphobic. I was able to go, and Peter Crouch was there and he endorsed it. And the fact that he was there and was able to, like, as you say, make that bridge between like more mainstream football fans. But then obviously it goes to show how much the opposite is true. That if you have someone who is like a legend in your team saying something transphobic or homophobic, it will crush you. Like it's completely like being rejected by a member of your family. So yeah, I think it's like, well, we, we've got to think about them both at the same time, like how terrible it can be, but also what the opportunities are there. Like, but like yeah, yeah, people like Stonewalls with Rainbow Laces, that's a massive campaign, you know, that's in yeah. all the leagues of football, and Jordan Henderson, a massive big red, mm-hmm. is a big supporter yeah. of that, and champion that, especially being the captain team where his rainbow bands. Yeah. You wouldn't take, a clock wouldn't take the laces off. Yeah. yeah. It's great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Rainbow Laces has been running for well, quite a few years now, and, you know, I remember when it first was started, and before, way before I worked for Stonewall, and, and you know 2014 2013 ish and seeing the laces out and being like that's cool and having university teammates and and other teammates putting them on up and being like it used to be even you know 10 years ago of oh my god if you're not if you're not queer dare you put on a little signal that shows that you could be that you could be because people might make assumptions and there was that fear of oh I don't want to be seen as that but now you have everybody like you know within the Premier League or Jordan Henderson's putting on the laces and nobody's saying he's gay and if they did then fine he's happy to stand up and yeah. be seen yeah. as a supporter as an ally um, and it's I, I mean I absolutely love what he said at Europeans last year when he tweeted to the fan who had the non-binary fan who had gone to Wembley in, in makeup, um, I remember coming to work the next day and having people who, like, literally do not like football, like, have never really watched sport. But, you know, have, like, I saw that. How cool is that? That, you know, I felt seen, I felt accepted. And so it, it affects people within sport and within football massively, but it also goes so much further. Yes, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it does. And that yeah. leads to Gold Diggers FC, having mm-hmm. that team there for women and non-binary players having that diversity that's a team dedicated yeah yeah and you know it's not been without its challenges um I mean we're constantly doing work I mean you know trying to challenge the status quo and trying to challenge all the norms that everyone's grown up with even in a queer environment it's work that you're constantly doing um and so I think that's one of the kind of challenges that major teams and major leagues face is that you're sort of expected to be perfect all of the time and they're always on display. Which can lead and to then, his own problems whether it comes yeah. to suicide. I feel like that pressure, like I need to be the best, I yeah. need to have this, I need yes. to be the perfect player, not only on the inside, playing on the pitch, but on the outside. And you well. don't you don't have that space, whereas yeah. you know, we're we're fortunate to have yeah. that space within gold diggers to kind of yeah, if you say like, oh, you misgendered that person there, that could be a conversation among your community rather than something that's like all over the press or whatever. But um yeah, and we, we recently had to leave a, a league that we've been playing in for years because there was um, transphobia towards a non-binary player in that league. Um, but a lot of other teams also left that league and we found that sense of like community and solidarity that meant that we were like, okay, we can move on. But it's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing in, in the team to be able to feel like as a non-binary... I can be out a non-binary and play football and I don't have, I don't have to pretend yeah. to be yeah. a woman or pretend to be whatever to say like to want to play football um but yeah it, it's also a challenge I think I think what's um great is just by doing it you show that it's possible um and hopefully the more people who see what we're doing at Gold Diggers will kind of 
reappraise what they're reading in the media or like the prejudices they have and, and things that maybe they've grown up with and they're just like oh this is happening and it's working fine great let's extend this and I think you know it, it works on all levels that once people see it in action they're just like yeah this this seems not only to be not a problem but something that's really working for people and helping them with their mental health like my mental health has been I cannot describe how much being a member of Goldiggers has improved my mental health, and that's Amazing. that's a real joy. And that's what football is about. It's like mm-hmm. those positive endorphins going in your system, actually. Mm-hmm. It's not only seeing your team win, but being around fans. Like sometimes, yeah. if you lose the fact you've got that support from the fans and the club, and like I say, that acceptance is there. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to have that because it can lead to something. You know, if you feel like I don't belong here, I don't want. I'm not. I'm not meant to be here. It can lead to those really negative thoughts. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, with my experience with football, like I I played up until I was about seventeen, um, decent level in the states, and then um, I was taking lacrosse very seriously at the time. So I ended up having to pick between the two sports um, and played lacrosse internationally in the end. Um, but I I nearly quit football when I was about twelve because because of bullying, um, and I remember as as I was growing up within football, it was this idea of, oh, I, I love it, but I'm getting more from this other sport I play. So just focusing on, on that and being around, it's because it's, it's very much the same. You're on a pitch, you're trying to get the ball in the net, um, you've got, goal, I'm a goalkeeper, so you've got goalies, you've, you're a team sport, so pretty much in terms of that, it's, it's the same. Um, and this idea that, I don't know, I had points right before I came out where, when I was about 20, where I hit absolute rock bottom. And I won't go into details now, but I was in a very difficult spot. Um, and it was a teammate who spotted everything and basically pulled me aside and was like, what's, <laughs> what's going on? Um, and I probably could have flown through and for a few more months or however long, or not, um, struggling. But because she was around me all the time and we were friends and we had that bond of her being able to feel like she could say something um she did and that's what led to you know me coming out and I felt safe and I felt looked after and I felt seen um and she was an incredible ally and remains a friend to this day um so I think it's if I was on my own if I wasn't in that sporting environment who would have picked that up Mm-hmm. nobody would have picked that and up and sometimes it's the most unexpected people because yeah. you see your teammates yeah. sometimes you just play a game of football with them you just leave them to I'll see you next week yeah. or see you in the matches but actually when you have that relationship you pick up on things and mm-hmm. it's normalising that conversation saying are you thinking about suicide are you thinking about what, what's mm-hmm. going on what's going on asking those questions yeah. right yeah I mean it was I was close to be honest I was self-harming and she noticed <laughs> and, and that's where um, you know and I was self-harming in a non- but in a, in a way that's not always visible. Yeah. Um, and I was very sneaky about it. And um, she picked up on it. And honestly, I, I don't know how. But I, the reason she did is because she was around me all the time. And that was incredible. Um, and that led to me getting help and ultimately coming out. And it was, and even still, because my parents didn't accept me, um, we don't have a relationship anymore. But I was able to be fine with that because of the team. In the women's game, there's so much LGBT role models. So you look at mm-hmm. Megan Rapino in the women's game, she's USA Women's number one mm-hmm. and that positive role model there. But then you look at Justin Pacino and he was the only male 
player to to our knowledge mm-hmm. who was out and mm-hmm. unfortunately you know his suicide back then and you look at how the, the contrast is now do you think there still is that that stigma maybe that people feel like i can't come out or they have that that relationship yeah it's a it's a very tricky one and i think what is really important to remember is um you know it's it's a letting it's coming out and it's a letting in and everybody should be in in control of who they let into their own lives and i think with um with justin story unfortunately he was outed when people found out about it, it was made into a media sensation um he experienced a lot of racism as well as homophobia um and he didn't have the support in place um you know the premier league and the efl and wsl have you know we do a lot of work with them now on um on life skills and we work with player care teams and we work with the young people at the academies we run sessions with the first teams um and there's a lot of that talk now to prepare someone and you know we talk about what do you do if someone comes out to you in, in your personal life or in, in football um how do you create a sportive environment and that's the most important thing whether you know there's that you know on every team there's that like player who's like the team trustworthy one yeah. who you just feel like you want to go to them and tell them things and they're going to look after you well everybody wants that person like be that person coaches put that person on the pitch um we talk about it in that way in the 90s that wasn't around unfortunately um i think with with megan rapino like she's been a massive role model for me um you know we're the same age and i remember watching her in the 2011 world cup and being on a point in my own life where i was like do i do I, you know, do I go in one direction with my sport or do I stop? And it was honest. She wasn't out publicly at the time. Um, but it was the energy that you could see that she brought to the pitch and that, I mean, that goal and, the, and that she assisted in that World Cup. But, oh, my God. Um, and it's that positivity. And you mentioned positivity before, but this idea of, like, really big on the whole queer joy point at, this, mm-hmm. at, at the moment. And... You didn't see any, you know. There's this almost idea of like when you if you come out, you're going to end up joining like you know sad people club, and there's a lot of trauma. Like I've definitely had a lot of that, but actually, what's got me through is looking at this like, oh my god, I miss that camaraderie, I miss that joy, or I want to, I want in on that action too. And when you see people take full control of their own coming out, their own story, like there's no energy like it. It's so positive and infectious and inspiring of anybody of any age so and I think Megan does a really good job of bringing that a lot of other people do as well um I've been really inspired by young people I coach who have come out and you're like whoa you're half my age and you've just that I'm just so spurred on by your energy um and that is that's a queer universality that gets overlooked sometimes but you know that feeling of release and this is how my life is going to be, and that's good. Um, so, yeah. It's that positive relationship, isn't it, rather than thinking of the negative outlook that come actually, you've got a team that's supporting you, finding that one person you trust and maybe you mm-hmm. feel comfortable about speaking to them, thinking, actually, this is who I am and how the team responds to that. Because clubs have that responsibility to make sure their teams are diverse and that mm-hmm. they have that inclusivity. Yeah, and I think it's, you know about creating like deliberately creating that safe environment for me coming out is so much more about the group of people I'm with than it is about myself like I think if you're going to be that one male out person on the pitch that is a huge responsibility compared to being one of many out 
lesbian women footballers being a non-binary footballer again you're going to be maybe the only one and so there's a lot of things where it's actually if you're the only one it's more about the people around you um, and I think at Goldiggers we start every session with names and pronouns and what is great about that I think is that you know you know everyone's name people's names are unlikely to change one day um but even if we know everybody's name we're with, we always do names and pronouns. And sometimes someone will actually say a new pronoun for the first time. And it's an opportunity of every single week you're asking someone your pronouns. And, and you know, one day a player might go, oh, my, my pronouns are they then. You don't have to have a big coming out moment and go around to all of your friends or your family and say, actually identify as non-binary now. You can just, within that held space, say, oh, my pronouns are they then. And as long as that is like, accepted by everyone around you, it, it feels like, yeah, that that's a really safe environment to be queer and be um, yourself and how you sustain that throughout the game and making sure that you say to the referee, like, please use gender-neutral language. We have a team with trans non-binary players. Um, and it's great for the fans to see in that sense, yeah. isn't it? To see, actually, that inclusion's on the pitch. They can mm-hmm. take it in their own personal lives, their professional lives. And I think yeah. you have that with, like, with rainbow laces or you have it with taking the knee. I mean, there are often times in football where you think like is this tokenistic but what it's doing is opening up those conversations and showing that those role models are happy to have those conversations and I think um again going back to Liverpool because I would um I feel like I feel like um having those Liverpool players who are happy to and Klopp being like happy and supportive to talk about um sexuality and gender um on and off the pitch has been a real bridge for so many um, supporters to be able to have those conversations with themselves and with other people. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's amazing to have a, a women's game where yesterday at the FA Cup final, I asked my friend, oh, who are you supporting? She said, oh, I'm supporting Chelsea because they've got more lesbians on the pitch. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, great. This is great. It's just like going back to everything we were saying about banter. Is like, it's not like, I think there's this fear around especially men who use humour to communicate and connect, that, like, well, you're just trying to take all the humour away from us and everything has to be serious and I don't want football to turn into, like, a serious conversation about my feelings all the time. It's like, no, we can still do banter. It's just everyone's on the side for once. That's That's really nice. Completely. God. So as fans and players and clubs, how can we, like, protect LGBTQ plus, like, people's mental health Mm -hmm. and that inclusivity on the pitch? What can we do to take forward that? I mean, I always just say keep doing the things that would you, know, you do to create a positive team environment. It's it, yeah, it's don't ditch the banter. Just make sure everybody's on board with the banter. Um, it's saying positive things about people. Just sending those. We talk a lot at Stonewall about the like the little big things, the big little things of you know. I came out to a teammate who um, had watched a gay character on television and was talking about the show which just said something positive about that character and I was like oh that's a tiny little a safe thing space. she didn't even know what she was doing but I was like that is good that is safe um, and I knew that I could open up to her about it um, you know other people what you know oh I went to lunch with my brother and his husband can you know you know that sort of thing and you're like oh, okay cool um, those little things that you can drip in and educate yourself as well like um, you know, Google is a great resource, but there's a lot of, um, you know, shows out. There's 
there's documentaries, there's I can't stop talking about Heartstopper. I don't know if oh, you've have you seen it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Oh my god. Lisa got me hooks on that. It's brilliant. It's, I'm it's so incredible. excited. And I know yeah, I cannot stop thinking about it, talking about it. Because if yeah. I had that show when I was that age, unbelievable. But also it's positive. So for for people who are allies, it portrays a, an environment of queer joy and queer positivity and what things could be like if everybody kind of followed this <laughs> like it, it's not just seeing like trauma after trauma after trauma mm-hmm. and being able to watch something like that and be like yeah that's the that's the that's the life that people can live now I know about it and I can just talk to people about it and you know see people reflected and and have that conversation um I think it's it also shows interest. Like I remember, some I and I'm I'm very happy to talk about myself all the time. But having a couple of teammates come up and ask me, like, "Hey, can I ask you a question? A question? Like, it's really brave of you for coming out. Can I ask you a couple of questions about it?" And I was like, "Yeah, like, thank you for showing that interest. Yeah. yeah, I really respect that. It's not for everyone, but the fact that they presented it like that can be good. Um, other things, calling out language. Don't say the language. You never know who's overhearing, and um, don't push people to share anything that they don't want to share. Just don't, you know, don't make assumptions. Just let people be. They'll get there in time. Um, but I think, you know, coming out and sharing things, it's, it's an incredible act of courage and bravery and you're developing self-awareness and you're developing self-esteem and, yeah, courage. All of those things are, like, things that you want to bring to football, right? So if somebody has is LGBT, they've been going through years, probably, of, of this process in their mind those are all incredible things you want to bring to the table um and the final thing i would say as well is like never dismiss anybody's identity you see this a lot in people who are like pretending to be positive or you know oh i don't care if they're gay don't bring that into football Mm. it's my biggest pet peeve i hate it so much um it's a big part of who i am in sport it intrinsically motivates me the courage i have and the confidence i have in my life are because i'm gay i want that on the pitch by telling me not to bring it into the pitch you're telling me to leave behind your personality my personality my powers all of that it has everything to do with sport um and we should be having these conversations and if somebody was to come out i want them in the men's game i want them to to talk about it and i want everybody to be like yes this should be a story for 2022 because i want to hear what you have to say because you are an incredible person and that's where i want to go with it um so yes it should they should be new stories and they should be good new stories and positive new stories and focusing going forward so yeah create those positive environments um and not toxic positivity but don't make people relive their trauma yeah. yeah, and I think there's so much about that, like, people have fears and prejudices about, you know, we're living in a, a climate where there's this conversation that's happening around trans women in sport, which mm-hmm. is saying that, oh, trans women shouldn't be playing sport, oh, what if it's unfair, what if it's this, and people who've never met trans women, people who've never played sport with trans women, people who don't care about women's sport are involved in that conversation, mm-hmm. and I would just say, come down to a Gold Diggers training session, like, come and see our, like, gender diverse group of people playing football you will be so bored by the lack of issues here like there's there's nothing to see there's no like drama here at all there is just people's power and joy and the people who I guess because you you find a home in football you're willing to commit so much of your life to it and I think it's amazing to see yeah the power that trans non-binary queer players bring because you want to sustain that community and 
just by people seeing that happening, they can kind of readjust in their minds the narratives they're reading in the media. And I think that will, yeah, hopefully in men's football, the sooner we have an out player, because, you know, there's got to be a few players in the Premier League who are, like, statistically, there have to be queer players in the Premier League. And so when they feel comfortable to come out, it will be really great for everyone to see how, as you say, they're bringing their power, they're not bringing any problems. And let's just get excited for that, I guess, and create, you know, create the environment in which that's safe for them to do so. Thank you so much for listening to Papyrus Hopecast and for your part in making suicide part of the conversation. Sometimes listening to these stories can be difficult. If you're a young person struggling with thoughts of suicide or if you're worried about a young person, you can contact Hopeline UK on 0800 068 4141 via text on 07860039967 or via email on pat at papyrus-uk.org.